Before we get started, I want to remind you to check out the SV pod with the one and only Scott Van Pelt last week. SVP chatted with Iowa big man Luca Garza. Yep, there is another Luca Garza is averaging 24 points per game on 45% shooting from three. Check out the SV pod wherever you get your pods. And now, the low post. Welcome to the low post podcast on a Monday afternoon after another weird weekend of NBA action and joining us to sort of take stock of the Eastern Conference and many other things. This is going to be weird to say. One of the people's favorite guests of Sports Illustrated, Chris Herring. What happened? That That is kind of weird. I, I think it's the first, uh, first sort of interview or anything that I've done with anybody since then. So I appreciate that. But um, it's, it's good to be back. Um, believe it or not, I feel like probably a fourth or maybe a fifth of the responses that I got, the congratulations messages that I got from people are like, does this mean you can't do Zach's podcast anymore? <laughs> I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. It's up to him. But uh, when, when you reached out to ask if I could join you, I guess that kind of answered the question at least a little bit, but I appreciate you having me as always. And you are the author. You're an author now. You will soon be an author. People like me, we're just writers commenters you are going to be the author of a book a book is a thing that you can buy at a store or on a website which has two covers a front and a back and paper pages numbered that tell a story your book is going to be called blood on the hardwood the flagrant history of the 1990s new york knicks we have talked about this before i am very excited um you are can you say that you are well i'm going to say it you are trying to wrap this book up I am. I need probably three and a half weeks still, but um, so to finish writing it, I know my uh, I'm going to beat you up. My book editor is going to beat you up because I <laughs> I always get questions like when can we buy it, um, and uh, hopefully soon. But I'll but I'll be done with it um, shortly after the All Star break, which will be such a nice thing because I'll be able to watch so much more basketball at that point. And, um, and uh, hopefully can get the book out to fans. Probably It'll probably be closer to this time. Not this time, but January of next year is a pretty solid date that we've got so far for when. Uh, the Knicks out. might make the conference semifinals by then. Who knows? I've got to rewrite that. It won't be interesting anymore because they'll be just as good as they were in the 90s by that point. <laughs> there is currently, Chris Herring, a seven-way tie in the loss column in the Eastern Conference. Seven teams Wow. Ranging from the current number four Knicks. This will all be jumbled in like seven hours, but number four Knicks to the number 10 Chicago Bulls all have 17 losses, which is absolutely uh, bananas. There was a discussion, by the way, during the uh, thrilling Knicks-Pistons game in Detroit last night over whether R.J. Barrett is the greatest left-handed Nick since Willis Reed. Now, as an author of a book about the 1990s Knicks, can you guess what name was very quickly invoked by the Detroit broadcast team during this discussion? As the as the best as an as an intervening candidate for this honor between Willis Reed and R.J. Barrett during the 90s for the Knicks. Yes, not Greg Anthony. Nope. I hope not Greg Anthony. That, no, that the, was not the name that was invoked. No disrespect to Greg Anthony, who in interviewing people for the book have said that they would draw straws to not rebound for him, um, you know, in practices just because of how bad a jump shooter he was. Um, left-handers. 
You're gonna, I'm, I'm, you're, you're going to kick yourself. A, a beloved, a beloved 1999. Oh, 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 no, no, sorry. Anthony Mason. Sorry. There you go. Another guy that people weren't really looking forward to rebounding for, but, um, but I think made up for it in other ways. Wow. Completely blanked on that. I was thinking about shooters, but, uh, yeah, Mason is as beloved as it gets, I think, with that fan base. Um, let's talk about the piece you had today because it brings up two big names, one of which is going to be very important over the next month as we get to the trade deadline. The names are Russell Westbrook of the surging, although they seized defeat from the jaws of victory last night in Boston, uh, Washington Wizards, and Blake Griffin, nominally of the Detroit Pistons. The piece is about um, why these two players, both of whom in their primes were, and, and to some degree still are, I guess, particularly in Russ's case, athletic marvels, um, almost one of a kind for their positions in the NBA. Uh, why that type of player may be aging more poorly in today's NBA versus the NBA of 10, 20 years ago, um, without ruining the piece, which is at si.com slash NBA, um, what drove you to write it and what, what, is this, what did you learn? What is the sort of driving thesis of it? I've always been really interested in the idea of, I mean, I think we all are as far as just the way the NBA changes and um, I've always been really interested in kind of the, the theoretical debate, even now kind of with what I'm doing with my own book, um, is the idea of like how would different teams fare, how would different players fare in different eras. And um, I, I mean, obviously Blake and, and Russ in particular have done really, really well in their own era. So it's not to take anything away from them, but I think part of what we think about a lot and part of the reason we have such clashes with regards to legacy and is LeBron better than Michael? You know, how good was Michael to begin with? How great was Kobe? Is that a lot of times when the end of someone's career isn't extremely graceful, um, it leaves a different perception in certain people's eyes than it would for other people. Um, and even with Michael and with Kobe, as graceful as their endings might not have been in some ways, uh, or, you know, Kobe obviously had the 60 point game, but in a lot of ways, um, it's even more abrupt for someone like potentially what we're looking at with Blake Griffin, where, you know, as I kind of point out in the piece, it was only like a year and a half ago that the guy was dominating games. And it's not just how recent that was, but it's also that um, I don't think it's well established with people, but um, these guys normally play, you know, for the last 15, 20 years, have played till 36, 37 years old and still been, you know, role players for teams at that age, 15, 16, 17 year careers are average for guys of that level of that caliber and so the idea that we're looking at Blake, who I think turns 32 in the next few days, but the fact that we're looking at a 31-year-old who's 10 or 11 years in the league, it's not like he's had you know a five-year career or anything like that. It's not Brandon Roy, but I mean, it's still very young, relatively speaking, to be looking at someone that was an all-star and you know maybe a low-level MVP candidate, just completely, you know, to a point where it's kind of like you know. Um, milk carton sort of thing. And and obviously the contract plays into that. Uh, I'm sure that there'll be some teams that will bite when he's bought out, but it's just not normal that we see that. And obviously the athleticism plays into it, but even with guys like that, I think there was more of a role for them at this stage, potentially than what we may see with Blake or 
you know, with other people down the line, just because the league will squeeze guys out now in a way that it, I don't think it really did as, as aggressively before. Well, what you're really talking about is the, the guy who relies on athleticism and is not a jump shooter. How does that guy age when he loses a little bit of explosiveness? And to some degree, we've lived this movie before. I wonder if you thought about Allen Iverson at all when you, when you did this piece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's guys that, and, and somebody actually pointed that out when I tweeted out the story. They said, I can't help but look at Blake in a Pistons uniform and think about AI. Um, so other people kind of uh, connected those dots as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a couple of things. Guys that rely on the athleticism, guys that um, basically can't get to the basket the way they once be, were able to do and can't shoot their way out of it, you know, from 17 feet, 25 feet, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I think that they're, I think those guys stand out most. And I think that that's probably the easiest solution is like you develop a jumper. It's not a problem, but it is interesting in Blake's case, I think, because he's not one dimensional in the sense that all he can do is shoot. Like he's a very good passer. Um, I think he's long been a very, very good passer for someone at his position. Um, and I don't know, at least with me, I've always kind of equated to some extent. Normally, the guys that are really, really great passers, particularly at that position, are among your smarter players. And so I think that there's some IQ there for sure. Um, he's not a guy that was strictly athleticism, but I do think that in his case, he was a guy that was so built on his athleticism that, you know, not having it, what role does that leave for you? And, you know, I think the answer that we're going to get soon um, – assuming that he'll play, you know, later this season with another team is to what extent does your team, uh, you know, matter in that equation? Because Blake Griffin on the Pistons on a team that's rebuilding that quite frankly wants to see its young guns kind of get an opportunity, especially a guy like Jeremy Grant, who left a, t a good team for that sort of opportunity. Um, maybe you don't even really want Blake, you know, using a whole lot of possessions to, you know, to kind of stumble around as he's aging, but you know, Okay, so when you make Blake the fourth or fifth option somewhere else, or maybe third, I don't know. Who, who knows? You know how third, how he third looks. is third is aggressive now. I think probably. I mean, fourth, that's how fourth, rough he, honestly fourth is probably aggressive. That's how rough he's looked, and and that's what I think is interesting, Zach, is that I think you and I know that from having watched him this year, and I mean, like watching him this year has been rough. And I think the natural inclination for any NBA fan, particularly when you're not watching the Detroit Pistons, which most fans aren't. Um, I don't know that the average fan knows like how rough he's looked and just historically say, oh, look, a shiny, you know, a shiny player from, you know, an all-star from a year or two ago, I, you know, he'd be great on this team. And I, it, it's, he's been so rough that I don't know that it, he's a natural fit if he's playing anything like what he was playing you know, just a couple weeks ago before they took him out of the rotation. So well, the three, it's the where three we point shoot, the three point shooting that he began to show with the Clippers and that he really built upon in his All NBA season in Detroit, which, as you point out, was two seasons ago, not like nine years ago. Two seasons ago, he was third team All NBA, and he was taking step back threes, threes off the pick and roll as the ball handler. All, like it was really, really impressive. But it wasn't his whole game. It was a part of his game. It was a part of his game he could lean on when you took away the other parts or that built on the other parts. Now it's his whole game. Every He can still overpower people in the post, but if you've watched the Pistons this year, 
I feel like every post-up is the same. He backs down, he backs down. It's very laborious, but he gets some traction. And because he can't jump anymore, it's a jump. It's like a, it's not even a jump hook. It's like a fling. It's it's like an over-the-shoulder fling that you're just hoping hits the backboard and goes in or you draw a foul. Now, having said all of that, I think the cautionary tale for anyone who's in a rush to write him off as a contributor on a good team is Nick Batum because Nick Batum looked absolutely washed in Charlotte. Done, barely played towards the end. When he got in, he was tentative, uh, soft, disinterested, slow. Now he's starting for the Clippers. Doesn't look out of place as a starter. Guarding pretty good guys. And if you hide your point guard on him, They'll have him screen for Kawhi and PG and get involved in the action. Now, is he tremendously threatening? No. Does he want to shoot? Not particularly. Some nights he'll get a little frisky and launch some catch-and-shoot threes, but he's clearly reinvigorated as a skilled all-around player on a good team. And that's why I think some of these teams will take a look at Blake if and when he gets bought out. And it's interesting. You and I have a slight disagreement, Mr. Herring, about Blake Griffin. Do you want to hear what it is? Sure. You said in your piece that you don't think he can be a five because of his lack of rim protection. I actually think on a good team, if not his best role, a role for which he is suited is backup center. Sort of a passing, playmaking, backup five, particularly because part of the reason you can play that kind of guy as a backup center is you're often not facing the best opposing rim attackers on the other team. So you can get away with a little bit less of a defender or less of a rim protector. You put him as a bat like Brooklyn's backup five, or, you know, we can talk about other teams that he, we think he fits on. I think that's a role for him, but did you, did you envision any, because I do think, look, I, I'm not ready to write off Blake Griffin. The guy's too skilled. He's worked too hard. I, I, I'm hoping that he's got a little physical rebound in him once he gets on a new team. Was there were there teams that you thought about that he might fit on other than Brooklyn, which I just which I just mentioned? I mean, I've, I've thought about a lot of them. Um, you know, I, it, it's interesting too that sometimes when you get um, and this is different. You know, I was about to invoke the idea of like Andrew Bynum, which is probably a step too far because he'd been out of the game. He'd literally been out of the game for you know however long it was. But it's interesting because like depending on how you're doing as a team. I don't know that you want to touch like an acquisition like that. Um, so I, you know, and, and who knows why I was focusing on this, but like I saw a lot of Utah fans saying, man, he'd be really, really nice to have for like, you know, a, a, a bench piece. And I was like, no, not, not, that's the sort of thing where, again, it sounds like a really sexy sort of move to bring him in. Um, but if you're if you're on the up and up right now, I don't think you touch him. I don't think there's a reason well, to. Well, George Niang is a better shooter than Blake Griffin, right. and and with all the ball handling they have there, there's always going to be two guys who need the ball on the floor at least. And so I, I agree with you. That's not a particularly good. Yeah, fit. I mean Brooklyn will will be interesting. I think in part because this will sound kind of crass from you know if you're a fan of Blake's, but like if for some reason Blake isn't working out. Um, Brooklyn, it's not like Brooklyn's taking a chance by taking somebody else's opportunity away that you really are vested in. And, and like you said with Niang, I don't think that that's – Brooklyn doesn't have this glut of centers. I mean, obviously, the, the trade they just made and losing Allen, I don't think much is lost there. And quite frankly, if, if like me, to some extent, you're a little bit worried about his ability to guard 
fives, and certainly backups who would fare better against them than he would starters. Um, if your concern is that Brooklyn at least will outscore a lot of teams they're playing. And so if he can fit in enough offensively and do his thing enough offensively, he has enough left on the tank offensively, then defensively, maybe, you know, even if he's not great, you can make that work. And even if he's not great and he's really bad or just doesn't look right, um, you can probably take that hit. And if you need to, you can move on and try somebody else out in a way that maybe other teams aren't as well positioned because you're trying to save face with your own guy that you might be kind of giving fewer minutes to to allow Blake a chance. So I Brooklyn, I think, has got to be at the top of a lot of lists right now just as far as like guys that should be willing to try something. And, and quite frankly, I would think that that might be somewhat appealing to him without knowing the dynamics between he and and somebody like DeAndre Jordan, a former teammate or something like that, why wouldn't you try him there? Why wouldn't he be appealing to, you know, why wouldn't that be an appealing fit for him? Yeah, I wasn't super optimistic about the long-term or even medium-term future of the Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond front court when Detroit made the super trade for Blake Griffin. I did not necessarily expect that by like the end of 2020, we'd be like, hmm, which one of them is going to get bought out first and end up with the Nets? Will either of them get bought up, get it bought out first and end up with yeah. the Alta? Can I tell you some Blake teams that I like? Well, wait, before you even get to that, though, can we talk like just how quickly guys go somewhat obsolete? And I'm not going to necessarily say like who come through that organization, but who come through that organization. I'm thinking about Josh Smith to some extent, too. Like they've had a, a handful of guys now in the last – I guess Josh Smith is going back a little bit, but what is that? Probably like six, seven years at this point. Where guys that were all really highly paid guys that all of a sudden, like Brandon a year Jennings. or two later after they leave, or sometimes before they even leave, they're just there's not a huge demand for them, even though they were brought in or you know acquired, you know, kind of max level sort of deal sort of thing. Brandon Jennings, Greg Monroe. Um, uh, so what if, I mean, it just, it's only the good teams are what we're going to want to talk about. Right. So I'm just going to make a list of teams. There's no reporting behind any of this. Uh, Portland, just because they need bodies right now, makes a lot of sense. His skill set with those, with the guards would make, would be interesting. The Lakers, if you just gave him like the Mark, Mark Keith Morris is starting for the Lakers right now. Could you just give him those minutes? Could he play with Marcus soul in some alignments when AD is on the bench? I don't see why not. Um, I, the one I actually kind of like the best that maybe other than Brooklyn, I'll tell you in Brooklyn though, people who need to keep an eye on Nicholas Claxton, that guy has a chance and he's looked good when the Nets have given him some run. He's, I think he's played three games this season. He's looked pretty good as, as a rim runner, switchy defender. I'll tell you, I kind of like the idea of Blake in Milwaukee. Um, right now mm. their, their backup power forward is Thanasis Atetekumpo, who is, more of a bumper car than a basketball player. And I say that with all due affection. I love to watch Thanasis play. He's just flying around, hitting people, getting loose balls. And if it's not him, it's Pat Connaughton. And if you put Blake next to Bobby Portis, like that's kind of interesting. Blake next to a spacing five and Brooke Lopez, like give Blake some of the minutes when Giannis is on the bench. That's like mildly interesting. Yeah, the fun for their defense though. But yeah, I mean, I, you can see where it would work offensively and you can see where quite frankly, I mean, I was watching them even yesterday and just the idea of it's so predictable all the time. And I mean, I, I say this thinking that Blake, even if he's coming off your bench in Milwaukee, which he is um, the idea that he could potentially be out there for you 
in the end of a game just because he might be a better scoring option than, you know, than what you have. And I'm sitting there watching Giannis and Chris Middleton play the two-man game and watching their passes almost get stolen. Now, granted, they had that beautiful play to, to basically kind of seal the game yesterday against the Clippers, but they play so much of like a, a committed two-man game between Giannis and Chris Middleton that having another guy out there, and I know Holiday is there too, but having another guy out there who has hit some big shots, has been a number one guy for a big chunk of his career, um, I could see why there's appeal there. That's an interesting potential fit for sure. Miami, just because Miami will sniff around everybody all the time. And, you know, like they have those like Kelly Olynyk minutes. Now, you could argue that for that team, Kelly Olynyk, because of his shooting, is is maybe a better fit for them. I mean, they've been playing, they've been rolling since they've been starting Kelly Olynyk. Um, so we'll talk more about Miami later. The funniest one is definitely Phoenix, who could use one more quality player and also has Chris Paul as their point guard. That's the that's the funniest Blake Griffin <laughs> destination, other than the Clippers. If they if the Clippers got him, they could re, they could like bring the fake retired jersey number oh. that they have for Blake back. They could raise it to the rafters of Staples. Um, and then. Uh, I think that I think I mean there are some others you could think of, but th those are the ones that sort of came to mind. I'm hoping for them. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's talk about Russ. Russ is averaging a triple double in there almost for the season. Yeah. And in, the Wizards are eight and four in their last 12 games. They have gotten themselves back into this slap fight that passes for a race to get into the play in tournament in the Eastern Conference. They're 13 and 19. And the closer they get to being relevant, I, the more we just have to wonder if Bradley Beal is ever going to go in this season. To, to Tommy Shepard's office and say, hey, it's time. And maybe he won't ever do it because I think he legitimately wants to win there. And they've been frisky lately. Now, Russ has been better in the last 12 games. He's been shooting 43% overall. And when you he's shooting 15% on threes, so he's probably close to 50% on twos. He still turns the ball over all the time. I'm not really sure what's going on with the turnovers. It's it's very weird. Really yeah. But, but I, I mean... 
whatever you want to say, this winning streak, this winning stretch is happening when Beal is playing without Westbrook still. Even though they've won X amount of games um, with Westbrook back in the lineup. Remember, for a while, they had won like most of their games without Russ. That's now changed. And that's not an indictment on Russ because a lot of the Beal-only minutes are coming against backups, right? And like Russ has played well, and they need Russ to play well. And so you have to give him credit for that. But they're getting destroyed by almost 10 points per 100 possessions in the Russ-only minutes, and they're winning the Beal-only minutes by 12 points per 100 possessions. This is since this is during this 8-4 and four stretch. He's just... Something happened to him after that stretch in Houston last season when he was averaging 30 a game and shooting well, and he, he just hasn't been... And, and look, he, he caught COVID. He's had two separate quad injuries. Maybe it's just all of that. But he still just isn't the same guy. And for most of the season, has frankly been like pretty damaging to the Wizards. I mean, there, I don't think there's any question. It doesn't bring me pleasure to say that about Russ. I mean, it's weird because as we have this whole debate, which I would say every year comes up now, and I know you and I don't want to spend real time on, but you, you know, you have the kind of the eye test versus the the analytics stuff to some extent. But I mean, he... He, he might be the most extreme case of that for, I think, a lot of fans is that, like you, you started by saying, he leads the league in triple doubles. He's averaging a triple double. Um, he is negative in win shares despite that. I mean, which is like hard. I, I, I don't know that you could have actually told me that unless you were letting a guy shoot like 40 times a game. and you know. But it's so crazy to me that he leads the league in turnovers despite not being like the only ball handler on his team. So he's splitting, and this is kind of like the Durant dynamic to some extent too, when he was with Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City. The idea, there was one of those years where Durant was about to become the scoring champion, but Russ had taken more shots than Kevin Durant did. And it's like, how are those two things true? But like, how is Russell Westbrook leading the league in turnovers despite the fact that he's playing with the scoring leader, the NBA scoring leader? So you have that happening. You have the fact that he, up until recently, which you've seen a, a marked difference now, um, of just the idea that him going to the basket is at least helpful compared to what they were doing. But I, I saw a tweet yesterday, I think it was my friend Michael Sykes, who tweeted it or retweeted somebody up until yesterday when he hit one of his five threes, Russ was shooting, I think, 6% or 7% from three, like over this nice little win streak that the Wizards have had. He hit one yesterday, which puts him, I think, at 10% um, over the last nine, 10 games, whatever it is. And so the, the, he just can't shoot from out there. And like you said, going back to last year, that was the one stretch he had where it was like, oh, he's still got it a little bit. And so he, you know, he's gotten a little bit healthier with the quad. And I think that's part of why we've seen him kind of come back around. He's mostly kind of given up the, the long jumpers over this stretch, but it's just, it, it really does kind of feel like Beal is fighting to kind of keep them above water. And so much of what Russ has done throughout the season has been, you know, kind of doing the opposite of that. Zach Cram from the ringer had this great statistic too, that he put out there that Beal has the lowest winning percentage of anybody by like 30 percentage points. And the NBA when he scores 40 or more, um, he is 6-20 when he scores 40 or more for his career. Um, he's been 0-4 this season when he's done it. 
And then the guy that's in second to last place, as far as the lowest winning percentage of active guys when they score 40 is Russ. And so it's like when you throw those two together, kind of what do you get? And it's it's it's, it's rough because you're, you're also watching Beal play harder defense now and kind of showing more effort, maybe because the team is starting to win a little bit. And maybe that's part of the reason, whether it's because of or, you know, just a result of who knows. But it, it, it's a little tough to watch just because Russ is putting up the numbers. But shooting wise, I mean, he's been the worst jump shooter basically in the league this year. And that's not really a new trend, obviously. Yeah, the biggest change for Russ from the MVP season until now, the three was never really there, right? There were seasons when it was okay. It is, it's that the long two, which was the right. foundation of his game, other than attacking the rim, has completely fallen off a cliff. I mean, teams are thrilled when he shoots a long two now. They're thrilled when he posts up. You know, Russ behaves as if he thinks he's a good post player, an effective post player. And certainly there are times where he looks powerful and he rocks the baby. You know he's going to rock the baby, after every single time he scores in the post, doesn't matter if the guy's taller than him, he's still going to rock the baby. The numbers just say he's not an efficient post player. He's just not. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that the numbers say that. But um, it it is um, the Beal thing is he's incredible, and and I do think Russ has been better during this stretch. He's been a little more productive, a little more efficient uh, during this stretch. But it hasn't it hasn't worked out the way that I thought it frankly would in Washington. Even that new starting lineup that they've been using with. Russ Beal, Hachimura, Garrison Matthews. Garrison Matthews, by the way, he can stroke it, and he's someone who's going to pay him some money next year. Um, if he, I believe he's a free agent after this season. And Mo Wagner. Bertanza's picked it up a lot too lately. Bertanza's seven, hitting shots, but that, that and he hit five threes. He had a huge game uh, a week or so ago where he had like a million threes. Um, but that new starting five is like minus seven per hundred possessions. When I looked it up, I was like, they must be rolling with this new starting five. It looks like it's doing it. No, it's not. It's not doing very well. But it, it's just been a bizarre, uh, a bizarre season for them. But they, they're in it because everyone's in it in the East. Everybody, literally everybody. And it's except Detroit and kind of <laughs> and kind of Cleveland. And it's made it difficult because it's I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting. I think you're always pretty good at the idea of keeping a kind of a level head, even when a team has done really well for five, six games, but it'll be interesting because if it still looks like this, when is the trade deadline this year? I, I, I March, can't remember. March 25th. It'll be interesting to see like which teams decide they really want to go for it with something based on the fact that you, you literally have a team, you know, if you win three games in a row, you can move from being out of the playoffs to being like the four seed all of a sudden. And obviously, you know, you don't, you're not going to leverage everything you have in a situation like that. But it is interesting because if you're Washington and you're looking at this situation and like you said, I, I think everybody else is kind of looking at it saying like, when will Beal want out of this? But it's pretty clear he wants to, he at least just wanted to make it work. I think there was one week in there where he just looked distraught with every loss. But he loss. looks distraught when they're losing. When he, you don't, he looks distraught when he's on the bench with 90 seconds left and they're down by 20. And I think it's actually fair. Mark Bartlestein came out and said that as agent. He said, I think it's unfair how this is getting memed all the time because how do you want him to look? Do you want him to be yucking it up with his teammates when the right. Wizards are getting smoked? And I actually right. agree with that. I don't know how they played a game. I think Beal has been absolutely incredible this season and, and really for a long time, but incredible this season. I've had arguments with front office people on other teams who are like, oh, he's loafing on defense. He's killing the Wizards. I'm like, I don't know what games you're watching. I know that he's not a great defensive player. He runs into picks. He falls away. He's competing 
hard. There was against Minnesota last week. There was a sequence late in the game where Beal took a long two coming off the screen, knew he had missed, and rushed in between four Minnesota Timberwolves. The entire Minnesota team basically stole the rebound from all four of them, kicked out to Howell Neto who hit an open three, and Beal was going crazy. He raised his hands, celebrating. I'm like, this dude is competing every single play. Yeah, I would be tired on defense too if the entire Wizards offense was me coming off the screen, seeing three bodies, figuring out, do I pass to the underqualified rookie, the aging veteran who can't shoot at all, the center who is a grunt guy, the second year forward who's getting pretty good. Hachimura is going to be good. I, I really like Hachimura. But it's, it's of course he's exhausted. Of course he's going to have some defensive possessions where he doesn't look super engaged. I think Beal has been incredible. Um, and, you know, look, I don't know. Their, their schedule is going to get harder in the second half. I don't know if they'll stay in it. But their biggest change for them, frankly, is for the season, they're 27th in defense. In this 12-game stretch, they're ninth or eighth, rather eighth in defense. Yeah. So they've and their offense has stayed about the same. So it's really that they started. That was what was interesting. Yeah, they've started to just play cleaner. I would say they're just cleaner on defense. There are just less possessions, fewer possessions. Where you're like, what are they doing? Why did they switch that? Why did that guy not understand that they were switching, but that guy switched and they Why just bumped into each other randomly and just decide he's going to try to double team this guy from the wrong side? Yeah, there are a few of those for sure. Um, but the, the piece on, on aging is really interesting and it, it, it gets to one of the points you make is they're used to people. The old man game used to be, I'm going to post up and play a little bully ball and YMCA you. And that's how I'm going to stay on the floor. Part of your point was that the NBA just kind of isn't inviting to that kind of player anymore. Right? Yeah. Or, I mean, I think certain guys kind of have earned that. And it's crazy to think that like, you know, Blake Griffin wouldn't have earned that. And I, there is a part of me that as I was writing, I was saying to myself, like, maybe that still is true of Blake where that could work for him because he's just so big. But like, can you imagine the groaning and the, the moaning that comes from if Russ decides to do that four years from now because he can't get to the basket anymore? Like you already have moments where, you know, fans and teams don't really want him doing that now. And again, we're only, so if we're two years removed from Blake, being an all NBA guy, we're, we're, we're only four away from Russ having less than four from Russ having been the MVP of the league. And we're talking about guys that are essentially 32 years old. They're not old guys. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a big, big part of it. And I just think that you've had certainly success stories. It's not to say that guys of a certain age can't play. We're watching LeBron, you know, even when he has a bad game here there, we're still watching LeBron be in an MVP race. We're watching, you know, Vince Carter play till he's 43 I mentioned in the piece that Rudy Gay has very quietly been a guy that, you know, I don't think that people were worried that he was going to be out of the NBA, but certainly like something had to change. He, he wasn't a, a number one guy the way that a lot of people projected that he would be, hey, but man, he's very there, quietly been solid for years. There are death, taxes, LeBron being in the MVP race, and the Spurs bench annihilating people. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what year it is. The Spurs bench is going to destroy people. Patty Mills is going to be running around in five years. And I look at Patty Mills plus minus. He's plus seven per 100 possessions. Um, wow. I have a story idea for you on Russ. And you're the, you're the perfect guy to do it because you do these stories. So I'm going to do it. And now that I'm saying it publicly, you have to do it fast or someone's going to steal it. Yeah, i got about eight minutes now. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> I, want you to, I want you 
to use the fancy data that you can get to analyze Russell Westbrook's shot arc on his jumper. Because there was a game like three weeks ago where he made two long twos at the beginning of the game. And the arc was so high that I actually rewound him. I'm like, is that high? am I crazy or is he like suddenly putting a lot of air under the ball? Hmm. And I actually texted someone from the Wizards. I was like, is, so, is something up with this? Like, did he did he do something? And I got kind of non-committal. I got uh, the answer I got was kind of like, oh, that that does look interesting. I don't know what if anything's going on. And I've I've noticed it a few times since. And then it'll go back to the sort of more line drive. Something is going on. I'm convinced something is going on with his jumper where he's playing around with different forms and different shot trajectories. So, Chris, that's yeah. my that's my dare to you. I can to, look into that. I've done that with a couple. I did one on... I know. That's why I'm giving it to you. Yeah, a couple on the Knicks beat with Rose. And I remember way back in the day, they did one on Bargnani like that, too. Who was the guy with the Knicks? Was there a Cole Aldrich story you wrote with the Knicks? Yeah. I feel like you and I discussed this on your podcast all the time. Yeah, that was it. But what was the story? There was like a, a quirk to Cole Aldrich's game, other than that he had a tooth missing. What was the? What wasn't there a quirk to his game? The, and he got the, mad at you. The hook shots that he takes, and I think the headline was like, he, you know, he airballs one half of the shots he takes, and then the other half they all go in, or something, which was that's pretty, pretty good. Being like spot on, it wasn't even really an exaggeration. And I, you know, I talked to his. Uh, was it his high school coach or somebody that taught him to shoot hook shots, talked to Cole for it. Um, he got upset with it, blocked me. But then I think, and that's what I'm saying, I think you and I have talked about it at least once since then. Because ever since then, everybody's like, why'd you block Chris over this? So I think he unblocked me. I, I think people guilted him and unblocked me, which I didn't care about. It's not a big deal. But yeah, fun times, Nick's beat. And, um, fun stories. My theory on Russ, and this is, I, I just want to make clear, this is just a theory. I was texting with somebody about this a few weeks ago, about his turnovers specifically, because if you watch his turnovers this year, it's like... It's like five a game. Well, it's also just strange turnovers in that he's losing control of his dribble for, for no reason. Like, he just it just, like, eludes him. And sometimes people just, like, reach in and take the ball. They're, he's not in a position of stress. There's no pressure on him. There's no second defender. It's just his own guy being like, Oh, your dribble is really loose. I'm going to take it. Thanks for participating in this exercise. And it's passes he throws that have no chance. Like these thread the needle passes that he throws. And you're like, what did he even see? So my theory is twofold. Number one, he can't get to the rim as frequently anymore, which you have documented in your piece. And so he's left with these desperation passes that he hasn't planned for and that aren't there. My other theory, and again, this is just a theory, is that the quadriceps injuries in both of his legs, because there was one in each leg, I believe, impacted his ability to get low with his dribble. And he so he was higher, he was higher in his stance and looser with his dribble as a result. Those are my theories. I'm hoping look, I, I want to see Russ rampage around again. And I really want to see Blake get some sort of coda. Maybe Coda is even premature. I want to see Blake play real, meaningful basketball games again in better form. I hope we get to see these guys do that. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement... 
Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Stephen A's World streams weekdays on ESPN Plus, bringing fans Stephen A. Smith's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with signature guests. The best interviews from Stephen A's World are now available as a podcast every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and watch Stephen A's World on ESPN Plus. Let's talk a little bit more about the East. So I mentioned this seven-way tie. Here are the teams that have 17 losses. The Knicks, we've all talked about the Knicks a lot. The Heat made the finals last year. They're coming on. They've won six in a row. What do you know? Getting your best players back helps. The Celtics, I did a whole podcast on uh, last week with Scalabrini. They're now 17-17, and 17, won both games over the weekend. Charlotte, one game under. A lot of Charlotte buzz. No pun intended. A lot of Charlotte buzz. Um, Chicago, 17 losses. We've talked a lot about them on this pod, mostly because of Zach Levine and his all-star case and my sort of weird fascination with Wendell Carter Jr. I don't know why. I just, I'm just i super interested in Wendell Carter Me and my Carter best friend Jr. had a big argument about Wendell Carter last week via text. Like I need someone long. to argue about. I have no one in my life that will argue about Wendell <laughs> Carter Jr. with me. I will give you my best friend's number. You guys can argue about him if you'd like. <laughs> I tried to bring him up at the dinner table with my wife and my daughter. Hey, guys, Wendell Carter Jr.'s post-up game. Really coming along. No traction at the dinner table conversation. Um, so that leaves two teams that I'm calling the sort of forgotten Eastern Conference middle of the road teams. And they're the teams I want to talk about today. Toronto and Indiana. Let's start with Toronto, who is now in severe coronavirus hell. Um, with I, It's unclear who or how many or if any players or coaches have it. But it's clear something is up because an enormous amount of the team is in contact tracing. Their game yesterday against Chicago was postponed. Um, and, you know, obviously, first and foremost, we all know how serious this is. It was actually quite interesting. You know, we've seen we've heard Jason Tatum talk about the lingering effects of it. And I was watching that Bucks Clippers game yesterday, Sunday. And it was Drew Holiday's first game back. And he's talked about how he was symptomatic. And I'm sitting there thinking... Imagine having this and yeah, you, you, you're out for a while and you have some time to get reacclimated. Your first game back, you're like, okay, go guard Kawhi Leonard for a while. This dude yeah. is trying, like I know people, I'll just say I know people who walking around the block was a big step for them a couple weeks after having symptoms. 
this dude is guarding Kawhi Leonard one-on-one and we're just accepting this is this is what reality is now for Drew Holiday. It's a little bit daunting to think about. But you know, we have to think about it because the season the season continues and and Toronto now has to deal with this. A on the one hand, the All-Star break is coming up, so they get some time. On the other hand, the trade deadline is also coming up shortly after the All-Star break. And the Raptors had just started to finally get healthy. They've had um, guys just in and out of the lineup constantly. Siakam, Ananobi, Lowry, everybody but Van Vliet basically has been in and out of the lineup. And they are, since starting 2-8, and eight, they're 15-9. and nine. They have the third best point differential in the East, I think. Uh, nope, now fourth. Philly has passed them over the weekend. Um, and in that 15-9 and nine stretch, they are... Ninth in offense and 12th in defense and trending the right way on both ends of the floor. Nick Nurse has apparently settled on, I'm just going to start my five best players. I'm not going to start a center. I'm going to start Pascal or OG at center, whoever you want to call the center. So he's been starting Lowry, Van Vliet, Powell, Siakam, and Anobi. Powell has been Incredible. just blowing the doors off as a starter. That lineup is plus 11 per 100 possessions. They've only played 51 minutes together. So Toronto has to make a decision, which is how good are we? How much noise can we make? And if the answer is really good, nobody wants to face us, puncher's chance at being in the conference finals. And if you get into the conference finals, well, you're in the conference finals. You're a sprained ankle away from something special. Then you keep everything together and let's roll. And maybe you pick up a stray piece here and there. If the answer is, all right, you know, we're just okay. Not that good. Then you begin to, I think you owe it to yourself as a franchise if, if Kyle Lowry, the greatest Raptor of all time, is on board to start beginning to think about, is there a way we can get Kyle Lowry, A, to a place he wants to go, if, 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 if he ever reaches the point where he's interested in leaving Toronto? Again, I don't think that that's happened yet. I'm not reporting that it's happened yet. I actually don't think it has happened yet. Um, Can we get him to a place he wants to go? Where his bird rights have value, a.k.a. the team would be interested in re-signing him because Kyle Lowry would be a fool not to care about that. Um, and we can get some good return to begin moving forward as an organization to our next phase. And now they're going to face that with a health crisis? I don't know, a health something um, sort of clouding it. It's it's a big deal on on multiple levels, and it is a shame because this team, they've had to play in Tampa. They've had... They've relocated their entire lives to Tampa, Florida. No disrespect to Tampa. I've never been there. I'm just saying that's not their home. They're living not at home. And it's been rough. And to see them turn it around like this has been has been pretty damn inspiring. And now they've got to go at this from a position of uncertainty. It's a big it's a big deal. I the part of me that likes narratives, which I feel like the analytical part of my brain hates them or you know thinks that they're not worth much kind of trust the idea that the more you take away from toronto as far as health as far as you know you know just watching a guy kind of i won't say stagnate but you know what siakam went through you know in the postseason last year and different things like that the fact that they lose both of their bigs in free agency elsewhere and then the fact that they start this year, and like you said, Tampa, wondering how much a part of that, you know, is kind of in, impacting the way they're playing. That they were just, you know, record-wise, they were awful to start. 
you knew they were going to turn around a little bit, but now it's like the fact that they've really figured it out. It kind of, this is going to be the corniest analogy, but I like the movie, the Disney movie Fantasia for some reason. The, um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, where Mickey's down there in the buckets of water, and he really doesn't feel like scrubbing that place out. And so he, he starts, he uses the little hocus pocus to get the brooms to start doing the work for him, to carry the water for him. And then it gets to be a whole mess. And then he starts chopping up the brooms because they're taking up too much water and they're flooding the whole basement or whatever it is. The, the raptors are like, that is a horrible analogy, by the way. But the raptors are chopping the hell out of this broom. And now it's like they figured it out and they figured out how to make this work for themselves. And now that they figured it out, the virus is kind of wrecking everything. I, I would almost be sad if the Lowry part of this, if he were to go somewhere else or if they were to deal him somewhere else. But that would also fit the MO of what we talked about. I think you and I talked about this a year ago with the idea of we thought last year might be that year for them where, okay, um, Kawhi's not there anymore. And they're probably not going to have enough to really be a true contender. And then they looked the part of a contender for most of last year too. And so it wasn't a question and it wasn't even a question with Gasol either and kneeling him somewhere. So I, I would be kind of sad to see them do that now that I think the East is even weaker than it was in some ways, or maybe it's just that the outside of the top three teams, it's weaker. And so, you know, does Toronto become that fourth team? And last year they were in that conversation. Um, but I don't know, Masai with, the question mark with him and is there a question mark with him the idea of kind of what happens to him after the season um does that impact thing does it not i i would kind of hate to see them do that just because i think that they have again have not been fully healthy it's similar to last year you want to give a team that's had that experience a shot to do it do i think that they would come out of the east no but i would be kind of disappointed to see them kind of pull the plug unless they're getting just a king's ransom back for kyle lowry well i mean I don't think they're scared of Philadelphia. Their their, their recent two-game baseball series against the Sixers suggests that they kind of like um, throwing the kitchen sink of defenses at Joel Embiid and saying, see if you can figure us out. We don't think you can. We're long. Siakam has yeah. hit another gear in the last month and defensively is just flying all over the floor. Um, I don't think they're scared of Milwaukee, period. Brooklyn may be a whole different ballgame for the rest of the East. Brooklyn's just a wild card because I just don't know who's supposed to stop them four times in a seven-game series, at least defensively how to stop them. But you probably feel decent about your chance of being able to score on them. If you don't, you probably don't feel good about scoring on anybody if you don't feel like you can score on Brooklyn. And Kyle Lowry will have a say in this. If he If he's like, I'm all in staying in Toronto – He's probably going to stay in Toronto because they're really good. If he decides he's not, I think everyone will be able to find some workable solution somehow. Um, let's just talk about fake Kyle Lowry trades just for fun. Um, uh, Philly is by far the most obvious destination. It's been much rumored. I don't know that there's any legs to the actual rumors, but he's from Philly. And they're one of the only contenders with actual first-round picks to trade plus an interesting young player in Maxi, You could make a lot of interesting deals with Philly. Now, they'd have to include Danny Green, who's starting for their team because he makes $16 million a year, and like three other players just to make the math work. And this is part of the challenge of a Lowry trade. But you can make a Philly deal that makes sense for the Raptors 
and he fits there like a glove. I mean, Kyle fits everywhere like a glove. That's why he's going to be a coveted player if and when. Uh, I should just say if, frankly. The L.A. teams, I can't find a trade. They just don't. If I'm a Sayujiri and Bobby Webster, yeah, they, they don't have anything that is is interesting to me. Um, and then the wild card is Miami, who I think at 17 and 17, having made the finals, is going to look around at lots of stuff. Um, and they're, they, as I checked with all the cap experts, Chris, I checked with all of them. As of now, they cannot trade a first round pick. They owe their 2021 pick to somebody I can't even remember anymore. Probably Oklahoma City because everybody owes everything to Oklahoma City. They owe their 2023 pick with lottery protection to Oklahoma City. And it extends to the point where it's too far out. The protection extends too far out. They can't trade a pick in the future unless they lift those protections, which would be very dangerous for them. Um, they do have Precious Achua, who they love and I think is is going to be Hard for them to move. They have Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn who will be free agents this summer. They don't make any money by NBA standards, so it's hard for a salary match. It's it's doable to build a Lowry trade for them because of Kelly Olynyk and Myers Leonard and their salaries. I, it's possible. I guess that that's that's a wild card. If I'm Miami, I'm actually more interested. Not more interested because talent is talent, right? Like Kyle Lowry's talented, but I've got Dragic. Hero, Robinson, none. If I if I'm rolling, I might have enough at guard to get by. What I'm really craving if I'm Miami is can I find the Jay Crowder facsimile from last year, the tweener forward who can shoot threes and make a couple of plays here and there and play at, uh, and play hellacious defense. That to me might be if I can find the right fit. That might be what I'm going to look for. But again. Talent is talent, man. Kyle Lowry is awesome. He, he's an upgrade over all those guys I mentioned. If you put Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam out of bio, you got something cooking. But that's an, inter- that's an interesting one. Did, did anything else strike you as interesting? Uh, of the other teams that you were mentioning there? Of any teams. Those teams, any teams. I mean, when I thought about it, you and I were texting earlier, when I thought about it, the, the team that I just thought – if you could throw out the considerations for what the salary was, it's the Clippers just because, again, you know, looking back at that game yesterday against the Bucks, they still have those moments. And obviously we saw them all throughout the Denver series, you know, when they just kind of, uh, you know, just lost control of what was happening and lost their grasp on the series. There are just so many moments where as, as wonderful as it is to have Kawhi and Paul George on your team and Lou Williams – the idea of not having someone to just kind of orchestrate that so that it doesn't look clumsy half the time, or it doesn't look like you just put so much on those guys' shoulders to not really orchestrate something. Um, you know, and it's great to have Pat Beverly there and, you know, he's having a good season defensively, but I just think the idea of having someone that actually his job is to control the ball, who isn't going to get mad or upset or care if he's not really getting shots is going to give his energy in any, any way he can is a good defensive player, can shoot. I, I just love that fit there. But like you said, there's no real way that you could get that done um, salary-wise. And, and even if there'd be quite enough talent to where you're not just picking them clean of, of what they probably feel like they would need to stay over the top. Um, you know, well, and getting- It's more that like if I'm, if I'm Toronto, like I don't think I can spin Lou Williams off into a first-round pick. I can't spin oh, okay. Pat Bever- I might Like I just – there's nothing in it for me. No. No, I mean, it, the the first guy I looked at, and I was like, you wouldn't do this. It's, it's like Zubach, but also money-wise. Like, it's not 
it's just it's such a weird combination of things that don't work um you know that and, and even that like when i was thinking about it, i was like well maybe you know in a different time and place like if you had harold on that roster there are certain things if you still had harold on that roster there are different things that maybe you would have felt a little bit more comfortable doing in terms of trying to make a play to bring lowry in there but it's just it's not none of it's realistic and um but I, but I do find – I don't know. I did the same thing with um, – I think like three or four years ago, like what I wanted to see the most happen was to see Chris Paul, if he wanted a trade out of L.A. to go to the Spurs, just because it just kind of seemed like this match made in heaven in a couple different ways. Um, and then, you know, he went to Houston and almost got to the finals that way. So it doesn't mean that it's – you know, Lowry could go somewhere else and have that impact. But I'll be really honest, Zach. Lowry could stay put and just looking at what Toronto has done recently without him and the idea that he can be part of the solution and figuring it out that he's had a good season anyway and just being the player that he is, um, there there is a part of me, a pretty decent portion that, that just kind of wants to see them give it a shot and see what happens. Like, again, I don't think they're going to be the team that comes out of the East, but you could make, you could make an argument that Toronto has realistically – as good a shot as anybody, I think. I, if you told me that they had just as good a shot as Milwaukee, I'd probably side eye you just a little bit. But at the same time, like Milwaukee hasn't. I would side. I would side eye you a little bit because I, I think I think Milwaukee, despite some depth issues, is about to get on a run when Holiday gets his footing back. Uh, but Toronto's like Fred VanVleet would have been a deserving All Star. He well, is the heir. To, he is the heir to Kyle Lowry in that he's the small guard who just is doing something helpful every single second he's on the floor. He's not, he's almost never makes mistakes. He's moving, he's cutting, he's setting random screens. He's a good defender. He is like, he is the true heir to Lowry in every sense, including and especially that his box score stats will never, ever capture how good he is. And they can um, play next to each other, which I love that. Like obviously, and that, so from that standpoint, I get your question because obviously you could move fully in that direction and it wouldn't be bad. It's just that, are you leaving even just a little bit on the table? And, you know, the way that Boucher has looked, the fact that even Bembry the last few games has just been really nice for them. Um, that Those guys, those young guys show so much year-to-year growth um, and, you know, what they can do with the ball. OG has been really, really fun to watch doing more. OG. And defensively, I, I, that guy has just – they they have a bunch of wrecking balls on that team that just develop and develop and develop. And you keep thinking that there's a point where it stops and moments where you see that with Siaka, maybe where there's a little bit of regression. No, like I, mean, they, I would, I would be frustrated from that standpoint if they decide to let it go and just trade Kyle for, for pieces instead of just having him. But I would get it, but I would be frustrated to see it happen. I know on the flip side, you're not getting Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry. I mean, that's just not that that fake trade is not gonna I don't think Miami's giving up Tyler Hero for that. Um yeah, Anunobi, he has a couple of drives every game now. They've used him as the screener and pick and roll as yeah, the ball handler, but he has like he has a couple of drives where it's like a it's like a running back just plowing through like if stiff arming were legal almost, he's just plowing through guys and they're bouncing off of him. And he guards every position. There, there was a game against Indiana where his primary assignment, two recent back-to-backs against Indiana, his primary assignment shifted from Malcolm Brogdon to DeMontis Sabonis on purpose. He wasn't switching. They were just like, no, now you're going to guard the all-star center. Okay, stop guarding him. Now you're going to guard the borderline all-star point guard 
And that's like our plan. You're that good that that's our plan. Um, I if can, can I do some? Will you indulge me in some fake Miami trades? Sure. I mean, it is my podcast. Um, if I <laughs> oh, actually if I, you say that, no, you can't. I'm not going to let you. <laughs> if the Heat, if the Heat try to find that tweener forward that I mentioned, the two obvious places to start are Sacramento and Cleveland, and these are not going to be sexy names at all, which is why the sexier names will get more attention. If they could find a way to get Harrison Barnes into into that role that he had with the Warriors, he would be unbelievable for Miami. Now, I don't know if they have the goods without a first-round pick to trade to get him. They would probably have to trade a Chua or, or at least one of their core rotation guys, plus the salaries, plus every second-round pick they have, which, by the way, is not many because they've traded, I believe, 2021, 2022, 2023, 2025, 2026, and maybe another one in between. Uh, Nemanja Bialica is sort of like the poor man's version that you don't trust his defense. In Cleveland, you've got Jetty Osman and Torian Prince. Again, not sexy names. Would you do like Myers Leonard and some second round picks? Kelly Olinick and some second round picks? You could argue Olinick is better than both of those guys. The guy I wish they could get that's a little, uh, probably the price would be a little cheaper than Harrison Barnes is Josh Hart from the Pelicans would be yeah. amazing for them. But from what I've heard from teams who have inquired about Josh Hart, the Pelicans absolutely love him. He's a restricted free agent this summer and have shown very little interest in dealing with him. Again, we're 24 days away from the trade deadline. All of this is subject to change. Uh, and then you get down to like guys who are, Larry Nance, you're going to have to bowl over the Cavs from what I've heard. They love Larry Nance. He's a local guy. He's been fantastic for them with healthy. I don't know that Miami has the goods or would give up what it would take. Then you're down to like what happens with P.J. Tucker, um, you know, Sterling Brown, guys that are just sort of fringy guys and don't make a lot of money. Trevor Ariza is still around. The guy that I, I don't even know where he is or what he's doing, but I bet you could get Otto Porter from Chicago for not very much. If you offered like the seconds and expiring money for Otto Porter, because he's probably not a part of their long-term future. He barely plays. That's another name I thought about. That role for them, because Harkless hasn't hasn't even cracked their rotation. It's just, that's something that I would monitor with Miami is their efforts to sort of fill that spot with the limited tools they have in their toolbox. Because they're starting to roll a little bit. And as we all knew they would, right? Like people who wrote off Miami... Yeah. They need to get their players back, and they're just they're they're going to be right in the thick of it, and no one's going to enjoy playing them. Yeah, I mean that's and that that's kind of what I think about with Toronto too. It's just the idea that I look at the guys that have been playing well for them, and I look at the way they've done it, and how annoying it would be to you look up and you know you get swatted from behind, and you try to figure out who it even was, and you're not sure if it was Boucher, you're not sure if it was OG. You're not sure if it's Siakam, just all these arms everywhere. And, you know, these guys that are 6'8", six, 6'7", six, and just making life hell for you. And you add one more guy like that to the mix to Miami. Particularly, I was actually surprised when you listed all those guys out that you – I don't know if you were kind of doing it in a rank order, if it was more kind of how much they make in sort of that order or what have you, how much they will make. But P.J. Tucker is an interesting one, like, to be that far down in the queue. I, I think a guy that immediately – could kind of be a difference maker for a team that is far enough along. Um, he, he's very sneakily had a kind of uninspiring year, shooting 31.5% from three. But again, they're 
they're just in a tailspin. They've lost 10 straight in Houston. You get this guy out of Houston, you know what you're getting right. in P.J. Tucker. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not listening to them in any particular order. I just okay. kind of was looking at common sense and how much they're going to make is important because Bam's deal kicks in next year and all of a sudden him and Jimmy Butler are earning $70 million combined. Nunn and Duncan Robinson go from minimum guys to something much greater than minimum guys. That stuff is, is going to matter for... Miami. Let's talk about the team that no one ever talks about in the East. Let's end with them. And that's Indiana. You wrote a recent piece on Miles Turner and the defense he's playing. He's also down to 30% from three. Yeah. And I'm a little bit worried on behalf of Pacers fans that they're going to fade even further from the discourse because they're now 15 and 17 on a three game losing streak. And, you know, they're an interesting team with a lot of interesting players. They're sort of the most, I think they're the most average team in the NBA. They're, they're just average in every possible way, they're just average. But people are already beginning. It's like out of sight, out of mind. Karis LeVert and TJ Warren are good NBA starters exactly. who would be starting for the Pacers instead of Doug McDermott and Justin Holiday, who are good NBA bench players currently starting NBA games. If you just add those two guys and your starting lineup is Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, and the two big guys, Sabonis and Turner... That's a hell of a team. Like, they're going to have some interesting decisions going forward. They have one, two, three, four, five, six guys making more than $10 million next year. And that does not include McDermott, who's a free agent and has been really, really good for the Pacers, both shooting threes and, and going to the rim on cuts. Um, they, they're going to have some interesting decisions to make going forward, but they're just a good, solid team. And I don't, I don't know where they're going and this is the perpetual question with Indiana is like, how do you go from really nice frisky team to team that actually does stuff in the playoffs exactly. and is a threat to do stuff? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know that they have an answer to that question. I thought they did great inserting themselves in the Harden trade to get Levert for Oladipo, who is probably going to leave anyway. Is there what's interesting to you about the Pacers? Well, let me let me let me throw one question back at you, then I'll answer that. Like, what did you? Because people ask me this, and I guess I didn't quite know what to make of it, other than the fact that they must on some level think that it won't be a long-term sort of concern. Were you surprised that they just went ahead and, and agreed to the trade even after the stuff with, uh, with Levert's physical came up? I, I kind of didn't know what to make of it, to be honest right. with you. It was such shocking, like real life news that I just sort of forgot about the realities of trade machinations. But right. I mean, I, I mean, I guess, I, I, but, but if they think, that he's going to be fine and the prognosis is good and they're clearly not playing to win the championship this season. Right. He has two more years left on his deal. Victor was probably going to leave and is an interesting trade deadline name as everyone has now noted. I, I guess not, but I, I truthfully didn't think about it that much. Yeah, no, it was, it was just interesting to me because like you said, it's not like, you know, it, it takes them out of title contention if he doesn't play more likely than not. But, um, but, it, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. When, when I was doing that story on Turner and hopped on one of their Zoom calls, uh, Christian Winfield from the New York Daily News was on the call. Um, you know, I think the Pacers were about to play the Nets, and so Christian was asking questions about them. But he was asking about Karras, and it kind of made me think. I was like, you know, you for, it's really easy to forget about guys that just aren't there and aren't going it's, to it's, – It's really bizarre. It's an out of sight, out of mind thing. And you mentioned and, Otto Porter. I mean, the Bulls – with the Bulls, like he's been like that for long stretches too where he just misses Chris, so much time. Chris, I have to remind myself once a week 
that Otto Porter exists. Literally once a week, I'm like, oh yeah, Otto Porter. He's Max in the, players. He, he exists. Max players. These are guys that were on Max, you know, Max deals or, you know, big money guys. And I think even more so when they're either not in contention or when they're playing for smaller markets where, you know, you, you watch them and you're like, oh, and, and you and I watch plenty of the league. So it is interesting, but Karras has been in and out of the lineup so much over the last few years anyway that I think it's even easier to kind of forget that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens down the line with them. Uh, watching them, even the other night, I mean, they've had guys in and out of the lineup aside from just those two. Brogdon, you know, missed a game recently. And watching them play, I rem- it made me think about how frustrating the really good Pacers teams were under Vogel and the idea that, like, they weren't good at passing and just how tough it was to watch their offense at times because I was watching them throw so many kind of lackadaisical passes in the closing minutes there against the Knicks and watching a couple of those get stolen. And you, you can just tell something's missing there. Sabonis has a lot on his shoulders and does a lot offensively. Um, they're, they're mixing in some different stuff. Uh, my friend Caitlin Cooper wrote a story kind of a, about the fact that Bjorkren is kind of throwing in more zone coverages and that the fact that it's very clear that the Pacers don't really know how to do that. Everybody just kind of assumes in zone defense that all you do is stand there, you line up two guys here and three guys on the back line, and it's that easy. But what do you do when the ball goes to certain places? When do you pressure the ball at certain spots and different points on the court? And she laid out in a really great piece just this idea that, you know, the Heat have become really good at something like that because they do it a lot. But the Pacers kind of stand around and look at each other and try to figure out who's supposed to be responsible for the corner. And so little stuff like that, like they're still kind of picking up different things, even though it's not a completely new group of guys. They've had so many guys in and out of the lineup, the trade, the fact that there's a new coach there. A lot of what they do just kind of seems rooted in their skill. But like you said, there's they're not so great, especially without Levert, to where they're going to beat teams consistently like that. And it feels difficult for them to put a run together based on all the guys in and out of the lineup, based on the fact that there's a new coach in play, based on the fact that the talent is good, but it's certainly not enough when you consider who they're missing. Yeah, Nate Bjorkren is throwing the box in one, triangle and teal two. Every zone from the Nick Nurse, Nate Bjorkren playbook has been thrown out in Pacers games at some point. They're a really interesting team. They, they take the most shots at the rim on offense, and they allow the most shots at the rim on defense, which is just their games are just a two-way parade to the rim. And I guess one of the reasons they're comfortable allowing so many shots at the rim, which you wrote about, is that Miles Turner is a defensive player of the year candidate who's going to block and or alter a lot of those shots. And everyone's in a rush to break up the Miles Turner, Domas Sabonis. They're both centers. We know they're both centers. Domas has made it work well enough defending power forwards on the perimeter so that Turner can hang around the rim. And they just haven't found a better answer yet. They telegraphed in the Gordon Hayward trade, sign and trade, whatever talks, that they are hunting for a better answer if it presents itself. But this is the Pacers, man. No one is going there in free agency. When you get you, that's Malcolm Brogdon went there in, in free agency via sign and trade, but that's the that's the peak player you're getting in free agency, and you have to pay absolute top salary to get that level of player. Like they they have made clear they have an organizational priority. We're staying good. We're not tanking, and so yeah, maybe it's not perfect, but they're pretty good with Sabonis and Turner. They've actually been quite good when it's just Turner this year, which is a change from last year. They're going to keep just sort of rolling out there. They play super hard. Their guys 
play I, I play the right way is cliche, but they they care. They're unselfish. They play hard. They're just there, and I'm not sure where they're going, but they're they're there. I actually feel like you know you, it, it's funny because you, you started this by saying nobody talks about them. I feel like you and I, whenever we podcast, no matter what, and I actually have a running friend with one of, one of my friends or running joke with one of my friends about the fact that we always find a way to talk about the Pacers. So if no one else will talk about them, you and I will. Um, I think they have more direction than they've had. And I don't mean that as a slight uh, in Nate McMillan because I like him was frankly kind of surprised that he didn't end up with a job. I think I even laid out that, um, what was it, the four years he was there in Indiana, that they beat their win projections over at 538 by more than five wins in each of those four years. Um, and in one case, I think beat it by like 13 wins or something. So consistently outperformed what the the thoughts were that everyone had, the perceptions everyone had. But the thing that always made it difficult for me when I would just think about who my hypothetical coach of the year candidates were when he was there, I couldn't really point to what strategically the Pacers were doing that really stood out as special. Or if they were doing stuff that was different than everybody else was, it was kind of more, it was almost kind of like a free market sort of thing where it's like you just let stuff play out by itself. So if you have an open shot, just take it. And it wasn't kind of more like which in today's NBA, you normally kind of want to have a rationale and a reasoning for why you're taking it. You want to set up something that gives you a better shot, a more efficient shot. That's been changed over really quickly. So where the Pacers were constantly the the team taking the mid, most mid-range shots, now they're at the rim. Now you, you look at Miles Turner and he's, you know, between cutting more and the idea of being more efficient in the pick and pops, at least early in the season – that seemed more targeted and you could see more of a plan there defensively. You're seeing more of the kind of um, if you want to call them junk defenses, you're seeing adjustments being made and really, really unusual adjustments made, which I feel like that gives you a better chance to kind of squeak out a win here and there versus what they were doing before. So I like that aspect of it. I don't know what it will mean for them in a year. I don't know what it'll mean for them for this year, but I at least see them trying different stuff, which I like given how many of the guys they have are like either mid-career or kind of still younger stuff. I do think it's interesting, though, like, you know, Nate McMillan was sort of lambasted as this old school uh, uh, allergic to threes, allergic to modern basketball. We got to modernize it. And they go from Nate McMillan to Nate Bjorkman, who's throwing out triangles, twos, box and ones. They don't allow any threes. Their three-point volume is okay, whatever. Um, and the result is about the same. <laughs> you know, they've had they've had injuries and all that, right. but it's sort of like talent is talent, man. You can change the coach. You get to like coaches do make a difference, but talent is, is talent, and you know their talent is just okay right now with all the injuries. But I would love to see this team with the scoring pop and the shooting that Lavert and particularly Warren from the shooting perspective would bring. And I thought Warren made huge strides. Uh, we all know he went crazy in the bubble last year right. uh, as a scorer. But I think he made big, big strides as a defender in Indiana last season. And, and you know, if he can be sort of stout at the three and the four, that gives you more lineup flexibility. But, but we're just – we haven't seen um, – we haven't seen that team. Uh, any parting Pacers thoughts? Uh, no, not really. I, I, no, no, I'll just leave it at that. No, I'm, I'm good. I, I do – my last Pacers thought would be – Domas Sabonis didn't make my all-star roster. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't make my 12-man all-star roster. He wouldn't have been my injury replacement for uh, – who got replaced? I don't even remember. Oh, Durant. Um, 
but I'm I'm not gonna like lambaste him as some undeserving also. That He's a really, really fun. good NBA player. All right. these guys are really, really good. Um and boy would I love to be the worst NBA all-star. That would that would mean I'm amazing. That was gonna be my exact thought, is that I saw I saw tweets going around about that. Like I'm not I'm not going to dismiss it by saying who cares because I, I don't wanna be that dismissive of it. But um look, I you know, and I think most of us know this. You can it's fine to have a different thought as to like who you would have replaced somebody with. Um, doesn't make, you know, it's still an all-star and it's still, in a, it's still a pretty cool thing to have, you know, for, he's the for hub her. of a lot of what they do on offense. He's, he, does he have limitations defensively? Sure. Does yeah. he's, his finishing comes and goes particularly against good defenders, his size, but he's the hub of a lot of what they do offensively. And until, until we see them, which they probably won't do, but like until we see them expand, the all-star rosters. I've, I've, I've stopped. I used to get really worked up over the choices. And now I, I, I just don't have it in me to do that. I, I think you watch him play and certainly he's a really good player. You can see where he's made improvements. You can see how lost they are kind of when he's not out there at times, as far as uh, offensively. Now, like you said, defensively, there's, you know, there's a lot to be desired. Um, they'd be better without him defensively a lot of the time with just the one center. But I, I can see the argument for it. Are there other guys? Of course there are other guys. You know, if Booker hadn't been the choice out West, would it have, you know, I, I would understand the frustration. I understand the frustration with certain guys. Just, I don't know. Let, I, I'm just kind of at a stage right now. Like, let people enjoy things. If people want to I will them, say, uh, if I were Commissioner Adam Silver, I would have found a way to get Mike Conley in the game. I really would like to see Mike Conley be in the game as opposed to being like the trivia question of, you know, the most accomplished dude in the league to not make one. Uh, but look, I I don't know. It's it's also pretty crazy to think about someone like Booker having had the career, which I know is not a career-based award. And frankly, as we talk about Conley, if you are really, really pushing for him, I know this, the Jazz are having an incredible season. I know that there are a ton of things you can point to to say that maybe Conley is most responsible in some ways for that season that they're having. But I do feel like part of the narrative with him deserving a spot is rooted in the idea that like he hasn't made it before. And I don't ever know how to feel about that, but I would really like to see him get one. I'd rather see him have one all-star game to his name than have him be the guy that we think of as being the most accomplished guy to not ever make it. I don't think well, the distinction is as cool. The biggest reason Mike Conley never made the all-star game is because he played his entire career in the West. Yep. That's it, period. Yeah. If he played his entire career in the East, Mike Conley might be a four-time all-star. By now, I mean, that's you ever, just, could you ever see the league moving to a situation where they just said, screw East West, we'll just take the 24 best guys? Hey, man, sure. Why not? They pick teams now. Like they could they could do anything. They like they're not they they end the game with the target score <laughs> with the Elam ending. Like everything's on the table for all star, which I love. That's yeah. great. Right. Nothing sacred about the conferences when it comes to all star. Uh, the last thing I'll say about the Pacers, then we'll, we'll end. The one player I, I, w I am watching closely every game, particularly in the second half of the season, is Aaron Holiday, who's had a really disappointing season for them, who I, I have been intrigued by. He's got a certain juice and swagger to him that is interesting. He shows flashes of skills, like a little better craft here and there, but it just hasn't come together for him at all this season. I know a lot of other teams monitor him as sort of a, like, can we find a way to pluck him away from Indiana? We're interested. So that's the guy I'm watching. Other than that, Chris Herring, you can now read his stuff at si.com instead of 538. It's good to see you, man. Congrats on the new gig. I, I will keep updating 
people against your will on the new book about the 1990s Knicks, which I can't wait for. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you as always, man. Thank you so much. Our Difference Maker of the Week is brought to you by our friends at CarMax. Don't just buy a car, love your car with the new CarMax Love Your Car Guarantee. This week's Difference Maker is the Brooklyn Nets superstars and the role players they empower. When you watch the Brooklyn Nets, I want you to pay attention to Bruce Brown. Yes, Bruce Brown, anonymous as any NBA player. Bruce Brown is inventing a position with the Nets. Does he play center? I have no idea. He kind of plays like a center now, even though he's the size of a guard. He hangs around the rim. He gets rebounds and putbacks. Is he a guard because he's the size of a guard? Sometimes he makes the occasional corner three. I have no idea what position Bruce Brown plays because playing with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and eventually Kevin Durant has given Bruce Brown the freedom to just kind of invent a new position. His new position is Rover. He's kind of playing center field on offense. His position is what everyone else is looking at those three dudes. I'm going to skulk around and find a little open space on the floor and get a layup against the Kings last week. Bruce Brown got two uncontested layups because he beat everyone back on defense because nobody was looking for him. That is the power of James Harden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and all the attention they draw. So this week's difference maker is the Nets and Bruce Brown. Again, Our thanks to our friends at CarMax. For more Difference Makers, check out my weekly 10 Things column on the ESPN Insider page.